Hi everyone, welcome to Angles the Podcast. Very recently I uh, did a podcast with Laura Cowan on the subject of estate planning. And while we covered a lot of areas in that uh, podcast, one area we did not cover was the aspect of international estate planning. International estate planning uh, has two kind of components to it. One is the way that people who are non-citizens, visa holders, green card holders, are treated within the U.S. by the estate tax system, or by the estate planning system, I should say. And one is for those people, whether or for whatever nationality, who have assets that are located overseas that need to be dealt with upon their death. I spoke to Shannon McNulty, who's an expert in this field, and what you will hear is quite a scary world of international estate planning. If you're a non-citizen, particularly if you've just got here, um, particularly if you don't have a green card, you really need to listen to what Shannon has to say. These are very, very serious differences between the way the U.S. system treats citizens and non-citizens in an area that can be extremely difficult to navigate and is extremely complex and can have catastrophic consequences if not handled correctly. So I give you Shannon McNulty, The Scary World of International Estate Hi everyone, welcome to the uh, Angles, the Angular Advisors podcast. I have with me today Shannon McNulty. Shannon is an estate attorney with her own uh, boutique practice in, in Midtown Manhattan. She's also um, a tax specialist LLM and, uh, and indeed a CFP, just like myself. Um, but one area that Shannon is, has made sure that she is extremely um, versed in is the field of international estate planning. Uh, as you may know, I had uh, Laura Cowan on here recently. We talked in generalities about estate planning. But international estate planning, estate planning um, for non-citizens in the U.S., is a very, very particular branch of the, uh, of the practice. And we'll find out today why that is, because essentially the rules are very different. Am I right, Shannon? Absolutely. So, um, Shannon, what... Why, if you were a foreign national here, uh, why would you need to pay particularly careful attention to your estate planning? Um, there's a lot of reasons, Simon, but the top ones are, one, you are going to be subject to different tax rules than uh, citizens or permanent residents are here. And the second one, which is just as important, is that there are a lot of practical issues that come into play when you are from another country. So whether or not you're a citizen um, or you're a long-term resident or you're here temporarily, often you're more likely to have assets abroad. So whether bank accounts, real estate, um, and those assets can be really difficult. If you pass away, then you have legal proceedings going on in multiple countries and it's really hard for your family to figure out sometimes they're trying to do an estate planning or a state administration in a country where they don't even speak the language so it can be really difficult and nobody really thinks about those things um, the other reason is that you're also obviously more likely to have family abroad and when it comes to estate planning we're 
designated people to make financial decisions for us if we become incapacitated. We're choosing somebody to um, administer our estate. Mm -hmm. So working with a lawyer, an accountant, with the courts to make sure that our assets are transferred to our heirs. And also when you have young kids, somebody who will be taking care of your kids as a guardian. And when usually the natural people to fill those roles are close family members. And in the U.S., you know, if you're born here and you're stayed here, those people are generally here. And so that's not an issue that they're that far away, the most farthest away that they're across the country. And they can just come here on a plane. They don't need a visa or a passport or anything like mm-hmm. that. However, when those people are not in this country, then it poses a lot of problems. So if, um, for example, your executor, an executor in New York State cannot be a foreign resident who is not a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. So if you pass away, who is going to fill that role? Is there going to be anybody who would step in to fill that role? If you don't have close family members here, maybe you haven't been here long enough to establish really, really deep friendships, um, that can be an issue. Who's going to take care of your kids? And this one, I... I think it's just so important and so many people don't realize it. But if something happens to you and you don't have any family here, who's going to step in to take care of your kids? And if the answer is you don't know, then the answer probably is they're going to go into foster care. They're going to become a ward of the state. Well, what about my sister who lives in Belgium? She'll just come over and take them, right? I mean, what's to stop her doing that? Well, you don't know, particularly right now in terms of the political environment, what kind of restrictions there's going to be on her just being able to hop on a plane and come over here. There's going to be visa requirements and things like that. Um, And also the court has to appoint a guardian. Even by the time that she gets over here, there's still going to be a significant period of time. So who's going to take care of the kids in the meantime? Um, The second is that the court has to appoint your sister. So she can't just hop on a plane, come over and take the kids. She can't just walk in, take them out, come on guys, we're going to Kennedy yeah. Airport and with Yeah, that's called kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's true. I mean legally she cannot do that. She has no legal authority or those you know, to take those children anywhere. So there even the best case scenario, one, the courts don't love to appoint foreign guardians. Um, but in a case where the it's Belgium, it's a Western country, the political system is similar to ours, they are more likely to appoint that person than if, you know, hopefully you're not going to appoint somebody who lives in Syria to be the guardian of your children. Like, the court's never going to let your kid go to Syria for good reason, right? Uh, so if it's a safe country and a country where we have, uh, you know, basic human rights then the court is likely to appoint that person, but not until a quite lengthy process. Um, That person's going to have to be appointed for guardian, and who's going to take, like I said, who's going to take care of the kids in the meantime? So um, even if she is able to get over here in a relatively short period of time, there's still a lengthy court process. Uh, Often the court is going to require that she be appointed the guardian in Belgium, so they know that there is legal... there's right. legal authority in the country that they're going to. And also, do those kids have uh, Belgian citizenship? 
Right. Okay? Are they going to have the same rights there as they do here? So all of those things come into play. And it, even best case scenario, she gets appointed and she brings the kids over to Belgium. Um, it's going to take a long time much longer than it would if a guardian was here. So you need to at least make sure that there's a guardian in place, uh, at least a temporary guardian in the U.S. I mean, I think you've, you've almost embarked on my second question already to some degree, uh, where I wanted to ask you, for example, of a, of a non-citizen who, who's dangerously exposed, both in terms of money, assets, and in terms of the kind of thing you've just been talking about family dynamics yeah yeah absolutely that's definitely you know parents with young kids um when they don't have family here that's uh, my number one concern and the other population that i see is uh, dangerously exposed in a financial sense is uh, non-citizens who are not residents who are not permanent residents here who own U.S. property or own U.S. assets because they are subject to a pretty draconian estate tax system in the U.S. Um, Can you explain what that is? Can you explain how, how, how exposed they are? Yes. So for U.S. citizens or long-term residents in the U.S., the estate tax only kicks in when you have assets over $5.5 million, about $5.5 million dollars. So I don't, most people, most Americans, they don't, are never going to have to worry about the estate tax. And that would be each. So a married couple would have 11, 11 million. Exactly. Exactly. And it includes life insurance. But even with that, very, very few people in this country um, reach that level of their assets. And if, you know, if they do, then there are a lot of things that we can do to minimize the taxes. However... The For non-citizens who um, are not permanent residents here, the estate tax exemption is $60,000. $60,000. $60,000. So we go from $5.5 million to $60,000. So just to be clear, everything owned in the U.S. in the name of the person who's just died is subject to federal estate tax above the level of $60,000. At 40%. I was just going to say, how much is the... 40% tax, yeah. Um, I'm not going to say everything in the U.S. because there are... Uh, so it, the tax, when you're not a U.S., uh, you're not subject to the estate tax regime, the, the $5.5 million, the tax is only on U.S. assets. Um, and what constitutes a U.S. asset is... One, U.S. real estate is always going to count as a U.S. asset. But there are other assets like bonds that don't, you've got U.S. bonds, but right. even stock in U.S. corporations counts as a U.S. asset. So, But we live in New York where a, a pokey apartment costs a million dollars. Absolutely. You can't buy a parking spot for $60,000. Right. So if you have a, you know, a studio apartment, a one-bedroom apartment, maybe you bought for your child, maybe when they came to school over here, um, if something happens to you, then there's going to be half a million dollars and estate tax is gone. But if I'm here, why is the U.S. government taxing me? I'm, I'm a, whatever it is, British citizen. I'm here. I'm going to go back in six months, one year. What's the U.S. government doing taxing me, me on my death? Shouldn't well, the British government be doing that? 
Yeah, well, there's a lot of, and this is where uh, estate planning becomes really complicated in the international context because you do have competing jurisdictions often. But when it comes to real estate or when it comes to assets in a certain country, then generally, definitely always real estate, the country where that real estate is located is going to always have primary jurisdiction and primary taxing authority. And they may also have primary taxing authority over other assets in their country as well, which, you know, could go into, becomes very complicated when there's treaties, um, what assets are considered taxable in, in that country. But, you know, if you do have any, and this can come into play even if you're not outright buying something that you don't even think about it. Like, sometimes I see it as I have a client come in and... She bought she bought a condo here, but she didn't have enough money, so her mom is on the deed. Her mom, who lives in China, is on the deed, and so she half owns uh, her, or maybe the, the mom is fully on the deed because she put in all of the, the down payment. And so if the mother passes away, then the daughter, she might have to give up. She might lose her apartment. She might lose her, her home. Because half of it's gone in taxes. So it's something that is just, it's so easy. It's one of those minefields, you know, where you just don't expect that it would have this dramatic consequence. But, and it could be easily avoided. But if you don't pay attention to it, and if you don't know the rules beforehand, you could really, it could really be devastating. So you spoke about the, uh, the non-citizen who is dangerously exposed. Um, what about if circumstances change? So can that non-citizen who only has a $60,000 exemption, um, can those circumstances change in such a way that they now have the $5.5 million exemption? What happens if they get married to a citizen? What happens if they have children and get a green card? Um, or if they turn around and leave and go back to their own country? As circumstances change, how, how does the estate planning how does their estate planning situation evolve? So if they become a citizen, if they become a U.S. citizen, then automatically it's changed and they're entitled to the $5.5 million. On the other hand, the other side of that coin is that they're now uh, subject to estate tax on their worldwide assets, so not just their U.S. assets. So you kind of have to do that calculation. If they have a lot of assets abroad, then it might not be the best thing. Um, the other way is if they get a green card, so if they basically become a permanent resident here, and that could be they get a green card, or there's a concept called domicile in the law, and people who are domiciled in the U.S. are entitled to this $5.5 million exemption. People who are not domiciled in the U.S. are entitled to the $60,000 exemption um, for people who are not U.S. citizens. If you're a U.S. citizen, you're automatically entitled to $5.5 million. Other people, it depends on your domicile. Domicile means that it's you live in a place and you intend to stay there permanently, or indefinitely, I should say. Um, the So you could be, it's if you're a, here on a green card, you're very likely to be domiciled in the U.S. But there are cases where you, know, you left the country and it doesn't look like you're coming back, but you're hanging on to your green card, but all of your contacts are somewhere else. Then you might slip into that. You might go reverse and slip into the $60,000. Um, 
if you get a green card and you intend to stay here, then you become subject to the five and a half million dollars. The other category, so the first thing that we really look at is the visa. So what is their legal status here, their immigration status? So if they're a citizen, the five and a half million. If they are a permanent resident, likely if they have a green card, they're probably going to be subject to the five and a half million dollars. If they're here on a temporary visa, then probably they're not. The only exception to that is there are a couple of visas, a couple of temporary visas uh, that allow you to intend to remain here. So visas often require that you intend to return home. So temporary visas, if you're here on a work visa, one of the conditions of the visas is that you intend to return to your home country. And therefore, you're not going to be considered to be domiciled here. It's You can't have both. Um, but there are some visas that allow dual intent visas, they call them. And it means that you can come here on a temporary visa and intend to remain here, intend to apply for a green card or for citizenship. So the most common of those visas is an H-1B visa. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple other ones, but that's the most common. So in that situation where you have an H-1B visa, they you would really have to look at the facts and circumstances. Where do most of your are your most of your contacts? Are you uh, where is your family? Uh, where are where's your principal place place of residence? And does it look like you are intending to remain here, or does it look like you're just here temporarily and you're you're intending to go back? So that's the what ultimately it comes down to is whether you're intending to remain in this country. And if you can show no present intention of leaving you have more of a shot of getting the five and a half million but if you're here on a two-year contract from your employers written down two years here and we want you back in the Berlin office you'd have a hard time proving that you had no intention of leaving you'd have a really hard time which means you'd be subject to the 60,000 exactly so yeah that is an issue I see a lot people are here temporarily they buy they buy a property because even though they're intending to go back, they maybe think, well, I'm here and I want some place to live and then I'll keep that as an investment property right. when I leave. I see that all the time and they don't realize that they're subject to this $60,000 exemption. So if they pass away, then there's, they're losing a substantial amount of money in taxes. And if you return to your home country, do you get out from under the uh, U.S. estate tax uh, claw, as it were? No. No. (laughs) So I return to my own country, I die in my own country, Mm -hmm. the U.S. still cares. As long as you have assets in this country. Right, with assets in this country. Then they are going to tax those assets. They don't care that you were there. They have the assets here in the U.S. and they're going to tax those assets. So I've given up my green card, I've given up my visa, I've no residency rights in the U.S., I'm now back in the country, the U.S. is part of my history. I die, but I still have that apartment in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even worse, your home country might tax it too. In that case, you could end up, there are cases where you have over 100% tax because one country is taxing at, say, in the U.S., right? And another country, Belgium, actually, is one of the countries, they have a very high estate tax. Um, You could end up paying 60% or more, 75% estate tax. 
And so you're paying over. So basically, your heirs are net negative. You know, negative. There's nothing left. Wow. Yeah. It, that yeah. is why it's so important, right? That great like, New York City apartment investment that I thought I was. <laughs> Shannon, this is very scary stuff. So let's let's. What kind of things can we do to mitigate some of this risk? Is there anything, or? Uh, yes, there are things you can do to mitigate the risk. So, um, so I want to talk about to step back from the the tax issues because there are ways to mitigate that as well. Or actually, let's talk about those tax issues because we've been talking about them. So, in terms of the tax issues. One, the simplest way, don't buy property in the U.S. If you're subject to the $60,000, don't buy property in the U.S. Nice <laughs> Rent. <and> <laughs> Renting is a great thing. <laughs> and if you are going to buy, then you either don't buy the property outright. You can own the property in a trust. You can own the property in a foreign corporation, but it gets to be very expensive. So unless it's a very substantial investment, you're paying a lot of money in legal fees to maintain these types of structures. Or take out a very large mortgage, would that help? Um, Which you probably wouldn't get because you've just arrived in the country anyway, so no one's going to give you that. Yeah, even taking out a mortgage, I, that's not something I would count on because the way that they calculate the estate tax is uh, they don't give full credit necessarily to that mortgage in terms of offsetting the value of your property. So taking out a mortgage is not going to solve your problem. Often the easiest way, if you've already purchased the property, is just by buying life insurance. Right. So like a cheap, like a term policy. But some people, that's not an option. So they might not be in good health. They might be older. And so health insurance is not particularly cheap. Life insurance, right. It's not going to be Yeah, it's not an option. So then, you know, the, the options aren't great if you want to hold on to that property. So the life insurance um, potential solution is you pass away, which triggers the estate tax, but there's a payment made out to uh, the person. Uh, you make it out to your estate. You make the estate your, your estate the beneficiary of the policy, and that would take account of the... Exactly. So you're not eliminating the estate taxes. You're just insuring against them, so to speak. Understood. Understood. Um what about the other, perhaps not so much um, estate tax issues that you were referring to earlier? Um, what should somebody do regarding um, guardianship, regarding the more mm-hmm. yeah, those issues? Some of the non-tax issues. And one of the things that you want to do is you, I always advise my clients to have a U.S. backup for all of these roles. So when you're doing your estate planning, you're choosing uh, a power of attorney. That's somebody who can make financial decisions for you if you become incapacitated. Uh, a healthcare proxy, that's someone to make medical decisions for you if you are not able to make those decisions yourself. An executor, somebody who administers your estate. And if you have children, if you have young children, then a guardian, somebody who would take care of your children. So you always want to make sure that you have a U.S. backup for all of those roles. So even if you have, uh, even, even for 
Americans who don't have any of these uh, international issues, we always have a primary person and an alternate who we're appointing mm-hmm. for these roles. And if it's somebody, uh, if one, if those people are abroad, then we always do even a third alternate. We'll do as a U.S. person, just a last resort, because if those people are not available for any reason, then you always want to make sure that you have somebody here. And you could think outside the box, you know, like in terms of guardians, like temporary guardians, maybe you don't have family here, even if you don't have really close friends, maybe maybe your child's teacher or somebody from your church or something like that, that they would agree to do it because it, it, it's really important and it's an unlikely scenario. So, right. but Which I think, you could switch back out of if you move back to your own country, then yeah, you just take them off it. Yeah, exactly. And it's unlikely that you're going to pass away, especially when you're younger. Um, but so, and I think people are willing to help out in those situations, but it is important that you talk to them beforehand because they're not going to expect to help out if they, if something happens and nobody's actually asked them to, to step in and do anything about it. So that's one of the things that I always uh, advise for my clients. Um, the other thing I would say for practical purposes is simplify your state to the extent possible. So I know often it's convenient if you're traveling a lot to have bank accounts in different countries and property maybe in different countries, but it's a nightmare for estate planning. So if you die, you have legal proceedings in three different countries. Right. It's awful. So you know, if you don't really, really need to have that bank account in India or in Switzerland, wherever, then close it. Don't. Yeah. Just simplify your assets, bring the money back and just travel with credit card or whatever it is that you need to travel with. Um, So that's, I think, definitely addresses, makes things a lot simpler for estate planning. If for whatever reason you need to have that account or it's a property that's it could be a family property or something that's uh, important for you to have, then you want to do legal documents in that country. So you want to do your estate planning documents as well. So you want to do a will in that country. You want to do a power of attorney in that country as well. So sometimes I've uh, seen clients where they had a large chunk of money in, say, uh, say France, and something happened to them here, they became incapacitated, their money here ran out, and they needed the money back in France. They couldn't qualify for Medicaid because they had a whole bunch of money and they couldn't, nobody could access it. So it, there was no power of attorney in France, and they wouldn't uh, recognize a U.S. power of attorney. So the family had to initiate guardianship proceedings, which is a very lengthy, cumbersome process uh, to have control over that money, to be able to access the money in France. So that's something that it just, it's something that's really simple, right, to do a power of attorney, and it could save, you know, it's a, a What do you call it? A pound of... (laughs) An ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. Shannon, thank you so much for this. Um, I think I I, I somehow get the feeling that we've scratched the surface here. 
Um, it's, it's obviously an immensely complex topic, but a topic that people need to think about when they come here. I know I didn't when I came here. Was, I didn't know any of this stuff. It's not uh, something that you think no. about, right? You're in a new country. You're excited to be in a new country. Exactly. And there's all kinds of things going on you have to be concerned about, your finances, your immigration status, and all of these things that the last thing on your mind is like, oh, what happens to me if I die in this country? And, right. you know, nobody's here to take care of anything. <laughs> I mean, who's going to tell you? Your immigration lawyer is not going to tell you about that. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, it's not your banker you back in about. your home country is not going to tell you about it. Your relocation company is not going to tell you about it. Your employer is not going to tell you about it. Absolutely. Um, what should someone do uh, if they want to learn some more about this stuff? Is there, are, there, are there resources? Should they get in touch with the likes of me and you? Or what, what's the yeah, best way to educate um, them, people to educate themselves? I, mean, I have bit? a lot of information about this on my website. Uh, the website is www.mcnulty-law.com. So, M-C-N-U-L-T-Y dash I'll, I'll put that on the uh, podcast. Yeah, I'll put that on the podcast. So I do have quite a bit of information on there. And then, but there really, there's no substitute for professional, like in-person professional advice, individualized advice, right. particularly in this area. So it's good to, you know, kind of get some ideas of what the rules are. Uh, you can read them um, online in some cases. But in terms of really taking action on these things you don't want to do anything until you talk to a professional it's right. there are two even some of the things that we talked about today like you said we just scratched the surface there's exceptions there's other rules that we haven't even talked about there's treaties between countries it's the state treaties, treaties. It's, and so it's just not sometimes people can do a simple will you know who have a very simple situation if you are not from this country and you have assets in other countries, family in other countries, you're not one of those people. You're not one of those people who has simple right. will. So, but know that and get in touch with the professional and keep in mind that the earlier you take care of these things, the better. So, um, because one, you just never know what's going to happen to you. And none of us do. And also, uh, especially for some of these tax issues, the earlier you address them, the better. So, uh, so getting advice beforehand is often very, very valuable. Great advice, Shannon. Shannon, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Simon. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.